This morning, we got a taste of the fruit of countless hours with leadership training for Christ. The youth gathered up here for months on their Sunday afternoons to practice, to train, to learn, to learn the skills of leading in the church, to sing, the drama, Bible Bowl, all these different events. But behind all that are the countless hours upon hours poured into the children by the adults and Jackie and James and all of their organization and then all the coaches, all the behind-the-scenes things going on with the coaches who gave up their Sunday afternoon naps. Think about that. To be up here and to work with our children. And then we saw the fruit of the labor with our second graders, our second grade teachers, teaching our children the precious words of Scripture. And our family was a recipient of this this year, this kind of devotion, this devotion from that, that generation passing on the faith to the next. When I look at the church landscape, I see a general level of panic, if you will, about the next generation. And there are some statistics that are alarming for sure. There's a, a large percentage of young people who are no longer attending church. But instead of panic, I would encourage and implore this church to press on and to pour ourselves even more into the lives of the children and to focus on that intergenerational connection with the youngest among us. And, and it's our hope and it's our desire that those memories will stick with our kids and inspire them in the future when they're off by themselves to do the same thing for the next generation. But here's a few questions to ask as we're thinking about this. What exactly are we passing on? What is the story that we're handing down? What is the heartbeat of this message that we hope will take root in our children? Well, for a time this morning, I want to explore this. And, and much of this sermon is connected to the theme of LTC and a lot of the songs that the, the, young, the youth were singing. This idea of no greater love. And that language comes from the Gospel of John. If you want to turn to the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, it is, uh, we're going to be in the middle of that, in John chapter 15. And those words, no greater love, comes from this section we call the farewell discourse of Jesus. These are his last words, his last instructions to his disciples just before the cross. So what's taking place at this point in the story is that Jesus has just shared the Lord's Supper. He's just reinstituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He's washed their feet, and he's told them, as I've washed your feet, as I've done this for you, you do this for one another. And what's also introduced in this section is this new commandment that Jesus gives the church. The commandment to love one another as I have loved you. And to help us hear this this morning, Luke Weed will read from John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. John 15, 9 through 17. <clears throat> As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that joy, so that my joy may be com- be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this: love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this: to to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command. Love each other. Thank you, Luke, and may God bless the reading of his word. Well, this week as I explored these words of our sermon text, and as I thought about that theme, No Greater Love, my mind kept racing to the words of Jesus about friendship and the theme of friendship. And when you go into world history and you look for what the ancients said about friendship, a good good conversation partner is the great Greek philosopher Aristotle. Aristotle spent a lot of time talking about and thinking about friendship. And Aristotle came up with essentially three categories of friends. The first category is the friendship of utility. It's not built on affection. It's built on certain benefits, a business partnership, a work relationship. And certainly there's plenty of enjoyment to be had. If you're in a business partnership with someone that you really connect with, there's a lot of good chemistry there. But the relationship tends to only last as long as the benefits last. When the business ends, the benefits stop, and so does the friendship. And we can think back to our past employment experiences and think about our past co-workers. And now social networking has kind of changed that a little bit so we can stay connected to those in our past and like their pictures of their trip to Disney World, whatever that may be, but essentially the friendship has ended. There's a second category that Aristotle talks about. He calls it the friendship of pleasure. And this usually has less staying power than the friendship of utility. Uh, This type of friendship is centered on just that. It's centered on pleasure, emotion, shared hobbies, Uh, So you think about being a part of a club with someone, uh, a hobby, a certain hobby club. You think about maybe a sports team that you you participate in for a short time. You have a shared interest, if you will. And so you have this friendship of pleasure, but of course our passions change, our hobbies change, and the friendships don't tend to last. Now, some of our best friendships actually started with a friendship of utility or a friendship of pleasure, but that doesn't happen very often. A third type of friendship, according to Aristotle, is much more invested, and it's much more rare. And there's not really a title for this type of friendship. I'm going to call it true friendship. It's built on mutual respect and appreciation, And it's actually tied to that person and the qualities of that person. And this type of friendship is truly formative. And for Aristotle, this type of friendship takes time. 
It takes a high level of trust, and it takes a lot of togetherness. It is built on mutual growth. It's being vulnerable with one another. One author said this week that I read about these different types of friendships. When he's describing this friendship, he says it's, it's seeing each other at their worst and coming out on the other side of it. And that's why we get so close in our marriage to our spouses, because there's only so long we can hide those things about us that we try to hide. They come out, and we see each other at our worst, but we come out on the other side. Well, this type of friendship is rare. I think Aristotle is speaking to something that is so wired in our DNA. This thirst, this need for friendship, for companionship, for relationship. If human beings are anything, we are personal creatures. But as we reflect on these different categories of friendships from Aristotle, there is something running amok in our culture. Friendship is hard. True friendship is becoming an increasingly rare commodity. Our society is not built for these types of true friendships that Aristotle describes. Friendship is hard. And it's hard for a variety of reasons. And here are a few observations that I have that just in reading other authors and also thinking about this myself, one of the reasons why, we, why friendships are so hard in 2019 is because our society has become incredibly mobile. We're increasingly mobile. And so Aristotle talks about the time it takes to cultivate that kind of relationship with a true friend, and that, that relationship is often short-circuited because of how easy it is and how sometimes necessary it is to move away and so i i would draw our attention to our memory to this section here about five or six years ago we had about seven or eight young couples newly married they all sat right there right in that section do you remember them wes and janice duff the paces the nances josh and shea smith the Gomez's, they're all right there, and they got this really tight group going, and then within a year, they disappeared. They moved away. Many of them moved out of state, and they're gone. Well, that's happening more and more often. We are mobile. But another reason why it's difficult to sustain true friendships is because of stress. Our society is structured now around the rat race, and here in Austin, Texas, it is difficult to survive financially without diving right into that rat race. So we have mothers, fathers, singles who are working long hours. We have extracurricular activities, homework, weekend events, always keeping our family on the move, which leaves little time for cultivating and nurturing true friendships. There's plenty of space for friendships of utility, friendships of pleasure, friendships that stay on the surface, but not much space and time for true friendships. And technology is not helping very much either, but that's another sermon for another day. A third reason why I see 
friendships suffering here in 2019 is because of the breakdown of the community, and all this is interrelated. It used to be that people really knew their neighbors, and I'm trying to remember a time when that happened in my life. I think the shift was already happening by the time I was born. And this still happens in certain neighborhoods, probably this neighborhood back here. But I think for many of us, those days are long gone of knowing our neighbors. We don't have children playing in the streets. We certainly wouldn't have our children, our children play in our street, in the front yard. Uh, the idea of hanging out on the front porch, our houses aren't really designed for that anymore. There's not much room on our front porch to hang out. We come home, we wave at our neighbors, we exchange smiles and pleasantries if we even remember their names. That's the world we live in. We go and we retreat into our caves, we close the door, we wall ourselves in. And this is a landscape for so many, and there are other reasons, but what's so disturbing about friendship in our culture is that that has seeped over, I think, into the church. And our time together is often hurried. We don't really linger with each other anymore. And even when we have the space, for example, our first Sunday evenings, we don't meet up here at the church are we engaged with one another? Are we together? Or are we recharging our batteries from a stressful week? Which is probably the case. Getting ready for the next week. All this to say, friendships in 2019, that's a hard thing to do. True, true friendships. Which makes what, the, what Jesus says in our sermon text this morning especially challenging when Jesus gives us the new command to love one another as I have loved you, as I've laid down my life for you. You need to do this for one another. But let's throw it out there. Are we really at a place where we are willing to lay down our lives for one another? Do we even know each other? Does this group way over here know this group on this side? Do we have those kinds of relationships in the church? I remember a sermon that Roger did about four or five years ago that was really touching to me, really challenging to me. And he was preaching on 1 Peter chapter 4, and there's that phrase, and there's this wonderful phrase, Peter calls the church to love one another deeply. It's that extra level of love and that takes time that takes investment that takes intentionality and if we're not careful we could be losing out on what the church is all about friendship in its truest sense family brothers and sisters in Christ this is the kind of friendship that we find in our sermon text. But it's here in the Gospel of John where Jesus says a word about friendship. And just like marriage, just like parenting, friendship isn't something we made up. We find it within God Himself. In the opening lines of Genesis, God says that He, 
He made us in His own image. Male and female, God has made us in His own image. And part of that image in my reading is that God is personal. There is a community. There's a neighborhood even within God. That's one of the stark contrasts between the God of Islam, Allah, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God whom we serve. They are not the same God. Within Allah, there is Allah who answers to himself. But the God whom we serve is personal. There's community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this relationship of love, the Father eternally giving to and receiving from the Son, this relationship of love, the Son eternally giving and receiving love from the Father, and they share the same Spirit. And in a way, talking about the Trinity, there's always going to be mystery in that, for sure. And yet, there's something so recognizable in that. God is personal. Just like us. And Jesus says something incredible in this passage when he goes back to the first part of what Luke read. He talks about this tight circle, and this is really throughout the farewell discourse. Jesus talks about the oneness between him and the Father, the, the tight, tight circle between God the Father and God the Son. And what's so amazing about this, and what's so incredible about the gospel, is that through the cross and through the Spirit that has been poured out on the church, God has invited us into that circle. He's invited us into that family relationship between the Father and the Son. We participate in that divine life. Well, there's an ancient illustration, and I forgot what century it's from. Maybe 6th century, 7th century, but I want us to, to work through this. If you would, on the back of your order of worship, if you have some space, I want you to draw a series of concentric circles. Something like this. And so just looking at this, this series of circles, what we see there at the center is the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that circle, that relationship of love between the different persons of the Trinity. But now I would invite us to draw a line from that center circle to the edge of the circle. One line, for you mathematicians out there, we call that a radius. Draw a radius. That represents our journey of faith, our relationship with God. And that line represents how we have been drawn into that center circle. We've been drawn into the family of God. We've been adopted through Christ. But notice there's a horizontal aspect to this circle. 
And this is illustrated by drawing different spokes of the wheel. So draw some radii. Draw different radiuses. Radii going from the center to the edge of the circle. Spokes of the wheel. Yes, there are others on the journey with us. There are others on the journey with us moving toward God. We are growing closer to God. In fact, I would say we are waking up to what we already have in God. That's really what the journey of faith is all about. But notice, the closer that we draw on an individual level, the closer we draw to the center, the closer in proximity we get to one another. You see that convergence. You see that closeness. You see that tight-knit circle. So this morning, as we think of the challenges of friendship, God has given us the key. And what an opportunity for the church to grow in our friendships, not friendships of utility, not friendships of pleasure. We do share those for sure. But those are at the surface. I'm talking about true friendships that are life-giving, and formative to our souls. Friendships that are first and foremost rooted in the most important friendship that we have. Jesus says, you are no longer my servants, you are my friends. We have been invited into the very heart of God by His grace, by His mercy. But Jesus says, as I have loved you, you are to love one another I lay myself down. There's no greater love than laying down your life for friends, for others. It's something that we are called to do ourselves. Well, how in the world do we reach that level of intimacy? How do we reach that level of closeness? Well, it begins from abiding. It begins with abiding at the center of that circle in which we have access. It begins with drawing closer to Christ closer in our relationship with him and certainly we do this as individuals as individuals but i would encourage us to think through this and we'll have some opportunity in our home groups tonight to think through how we might do this as a church family how do we get tighter as a church family how do we abide in that circle together yes we're challenged we are challenged in 2019 with this this idea of friendship and growing in Christ together. But just dream with me for a second. What would that look like? What would that look like if our circle truly converged with that middle circle, with that center? If we truly were doing life together in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what would that look like for us today? Here, among us, what would that look like for Austin, Texas? We see this, I think, in pockets. So in Keith's prayer, he mentioned our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. When you think about the persecuted church, you think about the tightness of those circles when you were under absolute fire. I think that's really when church becomes family is when we're under fire we see it in small groups here friendships that have been together over time 
We see it in home groups, certain home groups. I was a small group minister for five years, and we do a reshuffle every two years, and boy, it was hard to break up some of those groups. We would break them up, and like an amoeba, they would, they would come together in another group. It's just amazing how that worked out. I don't, I don't see that as such a bad thing, but don't do that anymore. <laughs> we have some people, uh, I was in a conversation with uh, one of our brothers who said that we, we would have left a long time ago if it wasn't for our home group, and this is a home group that had been together for, for many years. We see this, I think, with the cooking crew. Try breaking them apart. You know, when I watch them, as I go through the line, I just watch them and the way they interact. It's almost like you're watching a church within the church. They, they love each other. That is a, that is a tight, tight group. Well, we have some opportunities tonight in our home groups to dream together how we can do this. Our home builders, that class of young adults that's starting next week, we have some young adults who have gotten together and said, hey, we're not, we're not satisfied with just kind of drifting along and keeping everything at the surface. We're going to try to get that group, we're going to try to get that circle tighter. We need to do life together. Despite the challenges in our culture, despite the challenges of friendship, we're going to do life together. We're going to get that circle really tight. What are some other ways we can get those circles tighter here at Brentwood Oaks and truly be a family? Well, may God open our eyes to those opportunities. We have many opportunities. May He give us strength and courage to love as He has loved us. The one who laid his life down for us through the cross, may we do the same for one another because at the end of the day, there is no greater love. And that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. Well, it begins first and foremost with that line that goes straight to the center, the center of the circle. And that, I, that relationship that we have with God and it involves surrender and the more that we surrender of ourselves the more Christ's love shines through us the tighter our bonds become if you'd like to respond to the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing